What's up guys, Justin Michael of DNVR Rams here and I am stoked to announce our latest project, DNVR Madness, a college basketball podcast. Me and Henry Chisholm, we used to host the DNVR College Pod and that was just a national podcast where we talked about all things college football. We're bringing that concept back this time for hoops, we're gonna brand it as its own deal. Now this podcast, it's gonna have its own feed, so you're gonna wanna go subscribe to it. But because it's not live yet, and because there's so much good college basketball action going, me and my guy Ben Gerding of DNVR Buffs decided, hey, let's hop on a Zoom call and let's talk some college hoops. So that's what we did today. It's gonna be a blast. We're gonna have all kinds of people from DNVR involved, including your favorite personalities, Hank, RK, Dre, Andrew Mason, all kinds of people. Anybody that wants to talk hoops, we're gonna have them on. On top of that, we're gonna have all kinds of fun national guests. It is gonna be dope. With that in mind though, let's jump right into the national discussion and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you have any comments, suggestions, things you want us to talk about, teams you want us to look into, Shout us out on Twitter, comment on the site. Just make sure that you are following all these podcasts, DNVR Rams, DNVR Buffs, obviously our latest project, which is now coming out, DNVR Madness, a college basketball podcast. I'm stoked about it. Make sure you're following the Draft Pod, everything we've got going. It's a great time to be a fan of DNVR. I'm joined by Ben Girding. He covers the Colorado Buffaloes, also a huge hoops fanatic. And that's what we're going to be talking about is college hoops. Ben, what's up, my guy? Uh, you know, I'm super excited to, to get this podcast rolling. We've got a ton of fun content planned, you know, not just for today's episode, but for the rest of the college basketball season. So I'm super excited to be able to put this together um, for all the listeners out there, uh, give you all of our perspectives on college basketball. Hopefully have you all give us your takes and we can, you know, create a great college basketball community just like that. Love it. Love it. Love it. You know, I, there's a big part of me and, and I'm going to clarify right off the bat, this podcast is not going to be, you know, us just constantly talking about CSU or CU. There will be some local input here, given that, you know, we follow the West coast, especially, you know, a lot more than, you know, a lot of the AP voters and, you know, some of the people on the East coast. We, we don't really have to get into all that bias. But the point of the, this podcast is just that, you know, we wanted to put a product out there that talked about college sports on a national level. You know, we watch all of this, especially with, you know, legal sports betting and everything that, that's come into this. I think it's just a great opportunity to get it rolling. Obviously, we're all starved for March Madness after last spring. I'm just pumped. I'm excited to have Ben joining me. We're going to jump right into it. Before we get into the action, though, Got to shout out our partners, Chevalier Mortgage. If you're wondering, you know, are the rates as good as you're hearing? You got to call them because they're freaking incredible. Mike and Virginia Chevalier, they're diehard Broncos fans, proud CSU alums, but they've supported DNVR for a lifetime as members. They're a husband and wife team with over 15 years of financial service experience. And I'm telling you, I would trust them with my life. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com. Enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, get set up with a free consultation. Discuss all your options. That's dnvrmortgage.com. Do you know anything about mortgages, Ben? I, I honestly don't. I am blessed enough to not have to worry about it just yet. 
but I have actually met the Chevalier family. They came down to the DNVR bar before um, we had to go through that second uh, round of shutdown. They came down for a Denver Broncos watch party. Um, I can't remember which loss specifically it was. It was one of them, um, but but great people, um, you know, re- really great people. They know their stuff inside and out, but they're also going to be there to help you. They're there to work for you in your best interest. So definitely give them a call today. Um, now is a great time to get in there on on all your mortgage things. That's the one thing I do know about mortgages is rates right now are supposed to be better than ever. So get in on that. Don't wait another second. Ben said it perfectly. And, you know, we might not know much about mortgages, but Mike and Virginia, they know it all. You know, your, your home is likely to be one of your largest assets, your mortgage, one of your largest debts. They believe it's vital to consider your full financial picture when purchasing a home. This includes considering your short-term and long-term planning goals, your investments, your tax situation, all of the above. Most importantly, refinancing, it's not for everyone. So Mike and Virginia, they are going to, you know, they're going to quickly go through your financial situation and honestly let you know what is the best route for you? If you want to get hooked up with Mike and Virginia, visit dnvrmortgage.com, enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat, or call Mike directly at 970-412-2472. That's 970-412-2472. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. Always got to make sure I get those right. Kind of a tongue tie. Shout out to Mike and Virginia. Let's talk a little college hoops though, man. I'm I'm pumped. It's been a crappy week for me. Those that listen to the Rams pod know that I had food poisoning. So I've basically been dead for the last 48 hours. But the, the plus side is I got to just lay on the couch lifeless and consume a bunch of college basketball. <laughs> We've kind of had a March Madness feel with all these games going on 24-7. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, th- this whole season is crazy and so many cancellations, so many postponements early on in the season. It's It's been tough. It's been a little stressful as someone who wants to co- cover this sport. Um, but with that comes a lot of great matchups because teams are filling in last minute. You know, the different tournaments that took place within these first two weeks, lots of opponents finding out who they're playing, you know, the day before the day of. And that creates just some fun basketball because you really get to see kids go out there and play their style of game. They're not really worried about the matchups as much as their talent versus the talent of the other team. And we've had some fantastic early season matchups, not just this week, but moving forward as well. I mean, it's honestly, it's unlike anything I think I can remember in past college basketball years, because really the fun, the fun parts of these games comes around tournament time when you've got a seven versus a nine or, you know, a game that goes down to the buzzer. But now to start off college basketball season with tip-offs of a one and two coming up this weekend, I mean, that's that's just something you can't even dream of. Well, and it, it's just really interesting this year. We're seeing such a different scheduling philosophy now. Obviously, you know, I'd say over the last five to 10 years or so, we have seen a push to get some of those, you know, elite early matchups. You know, a lot of these like invitationals to open up the year where you end up with, two top 25 teams. But I mean, we have a situation where Gonzaga, who we'll talk about plenty on this podcast, because it's kind of just Gonzaga's world and we're all living in it at the moment. But I mean, they're they're opening the year playing Kansas and Baylor in the first two weeks. It's just crazy to see like some of these teams and then how they're kind of approaching it. But I guess it makes sense because no game is a guarantee at this point, as we've you know seen with CU and CSU on the, on the local side, the cancellations, they're rolling in already. Yeah. And and that's, you know what, it's going to foster a competitive season unlike anything else we've ever seen. 
Uh, you know, Colorado, they had some positive tests. So the uh, their game on Wednesday was canceled. The Rams have some issues in, in their program as well. So the Colorado Rams or the, the, the Buffalo Rams, you know, Rocky Mountain Showdown on the basketball court was canceled for next week. And Colorado, they got the clearance to go ahead. So this morning they rescheduled and already has have another game uh, in that slot. And so that's just what's fascinating right now about the college basketball landscape is week to week, it's tough to predict what matchups are going to stick around. But the craziness, the chaos of it all, that's what college basketball is all about. That's why people love the tournament. Because no matter what seed you are, how often is it always that four one seeds end up in the final four? You're always going to have upsets. You're going to have this truly madness and chaos. And so to have that throughout the entirety of the season, you know, I'm all here for it. Obviously, you hope every single player that runs into issues with the virus uh, recovers fully and programs are able to rebound. Uh, you know, but with that being said, the ability for programs to pivot and, and pick up teams whenever they have an opening, I mean, it is just going to create an incredible season. And I cannot wait to talk about it every week. And also that selection Sunday is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. That's a great point. I'm already so excited for that. And one of the things that I'm kind of interested in long-term, will this have an, an effect on, you know, how AD is scheduled? Because especially in football, you don't see it quite as much in basketball. There, It does happen with the, with the multi-year agreements, but you get these ADs that schedule these games months and months in advance because, you know, you're trying to fill out your schedule and, you know, obviously you, you don't normally want to have this much fluctuation with your schedule because that's a total pain in the ass. But I kind of think it, it spotlights, you know, some of these power ADs, they've been a little bit lazy. You know, if you can put these games together so last minute, why couldn't you do it, you know, under normal circumstances when you have months, you don't have to worry about the pandemic. I don't know. There's just not a, not a whole lot of reasons they should be playing these weak schedules. You need some of it, you know, I know, especially from a revenue perspective, you know, giving these smaller schools a chance that's big for them. But I'll be curious to see, you know, like moving forward, does a Gonzaga or a, or a you know, a Villanova, a Creighton, somebody like that, do they just come out and they schedule huge at the beginning because you get all the attention? If you win, it's huge. If you lose, you still have time to recover. I'll be interested to see how that kind of plays out. Yeah, I mean, the thing with, the thing with scheduling those early games, you said it yourself, it's really, there's not much stakes in it from a negative side if you are a Gonzaga or a Baylor or a Villanova. Because like you said, if you lose, you still have the rest of your conference schedule uh, to pick it back up. If you win, you know, then you're going to be ahead in the polls going forward. And also a loss to a team like a Villanova or a Gonzaga, that doesn't hurt you. The way that, that teams are evaluated you really want all your losses to be from these good teams. So if you end up losing, you know, three to five games in a season, two of them are to a conference opponent, and then you have losses to Kansas and Villanova, it's like, okay, well, clearly you are a top team. Clearly you are a one or two seed in the tournament just based on that. So yeah, I completely agree. I would hope and love to see this moving forward. And, you know, maybe that is one, you know, silver lining to the pandemic season as teams realize what it's like to for them to schedule these top opponents early on and how that can boost their credibility on a national perspective. And you're just, you create a situation where you're drawing up interest in college basketball on a national level. We're college basketball guys. We live for these November, December, January matchups. I know people that get pretty into March Madness that don't watch a single college basketball game until the conference tournaments. And it's a bummer. It's unfortunate. There's obviously a lot of things college basketball has to compete with under normal circumstances. 
NBA, NHL, NFL, you know, college football, even you're going up against so many different things. Mm -hmm. College basketball is incredible. You know, I, I'd love to see it where, you know, we have national games every night where, you know, everybody's talking about it, like that Gonzaga-Kansas matchup or like the Gonzaga-Baylor matchup coming up on Saturday. It's just good for college hoops. Yeah. The, the thing about college basketball that I think everybody knows, but, but people don't pay attention to until tournament time, is the fact that rankings and, and strength really don't matter as much. There are so Not many really, updates yeah. every night. And that's what I think is so incredible about basketball in particular is it's a, it's a sport. College basketball is a sport where you can go out there and beat any team any given night. You know, again, I call cover, you know, Colorado. Can the Buffaloes go out there and beat Alabama? No, no, they can't beat Alabama. But could the Colorado Buffaloes men's basketball team go out there and beat a Gonzaga or a Baylor? Yeah, I think they could. And that's less to do with the talent discrepancies between football and basketball and more between the fact that basketball is just that type of game. Now, would I put my money on the upset? No. But the, the, the fact <laughs> of the matter is, is that it's just it's a sport that fosters this chaos. It's a sport that loves to see the underdog win. And that's why, you know, it gets so popular on tournament time. And that's why it's so exciting to see some big time matchups that is really getting college basketball more on people's radar earlier this year than in the years past. You know, I, I will say there are games, you know, in college basketball for the, the passive obser observer that, you know, if you tune in and it's one of those games where it ends up being like, 57 to 61. I understand how that can be a little bit frustrating, especially if you're used to the NBA now, which is basically nothing but baskets, but you get to see teams play a little bit of defense every now and then. So let's, uh, let's mean, jump into it though. You know, I think we've kind of set up, you know, what we want this podcast to be, you know, we're basically going to be just talking a lot of college hoops for everybody. So let's, you know, kind of jump right into it. Starting with that Gonzaga West Virginia game, which was just a blast. I mean, I actually made some money on this, taking Gonzaga and the over, just parlayed it. I mean, Gonzaga is just going to be easy money this year, basically every game. Yeah, Gonzaga came out and they, you know, that, that's a team that impressed me in a variety of ways. You know, you, you, know, the, you know the names, Corey Kispert and Drew Timmy. They, they have great guys in that front court. But I want to talk about Jalen Suggs first and foremost, because Jalen Suggs did something that I, I think was probably the most impressive thing that I've seen out of anybody in the beginning of this college basketball season. In case you missed this game, Jalen Suggs, he's dribbling down. Um, it's, it's not really a fast break, but they've got one extra number. And he goes and he passes it down low. And as he slows up, his ankle slides and he grabs immediately at that ankle and Achilles and everybody instantaneously. Yeah. Everybody instantaneously is like, Oh, that's, you know, you, you just, you're, you're just trained to know now what an Achilles injury looks like. He can't really walk on it. He's having trouble putting weight on it. They show him walking back to the locker room. It's taking him forever to get down that hallway. And so Gonzaga, they have, um, I'm just make, make sure I get the name right. Yeah. Andrew Nemhart, the Florida transfer who he had, he had his eligibility, granted i believe like the day before the season comes yeah, in right before yeah plays a great game but all of a sudden then Suggs is warming up on the sideline and he checks back in people thought this guy tore his achilles would be done for the season all of a sudden he comes back in there finishes it finishes the game that to me shows what this gonzaga team is they are gritty they're not going to shy away from a fight and for them to get a win against another team like that with west virginia you know west virginia is not going to shy away from fouls they're a physical team they want to get in your face and make it known so for gonzaga to win a bloody fist fight like that when you were down your main guy for almost half the game and then have him have the toughness to come back in 
I mean, Gonzaga just reaffirmed their spot as the top program in the country. That was, yeah. I mean, I think every, the, the life definitely went out of the arena when, when Suggs went down. You saw Gonzaga, they kind of gave up a run right after that. And then West Virginia went up, actually live bet on Gonzaga again and made even more money because it's just one of those. <laughs> don't, don't believe it. It's a game of runs. They're coming back. But man, Suggs, just the toughness, the mentality. He was, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Minnesota football in 2019, as was David Roddy, who's at Colorado State, and he kind of plays with a similar tenacity. I really like that, you know, football mindset with some of these guys on the court. You can just kind of see it. And I mean, Suggs has a different level of athleticism than just about everybody on the floor. You see it, the explosiveness, and that's kind of what made it really scary when you thought, you know, it might be an Achilles injury because you're thinking, oh God, I mean, we got this true freshman so exciting. Everybody's, you know, stoked for him. He's living up to the hype right off the bat. And then he just goes down right away. Yeah. I mean, it, it was definitely scary. And, you know, that football toughness, I believe the broadcaster said, you know, football players know a difference between pain and an injury. Um, and I thought that was an interesting quote because it came back to bite the announcers because they're his sugs. And I guess he decided even if it was an injury, you know, I'm not going out. But I think that the big thing with, with Georgia so it's clear that Suggs, he's going to be okay in the long haul. At least that's what it looks like. Whether or not they limit him in practice and limit his minutes for some games moving forward to let him get back to full strength, that's still to be seen. But the fact that they have a guy like Nemhart who ran the offense so well, so well in Suggs' absence, um, is, is super helpful because then he can set up guys like Kispert and guys like Timmy. And Drew Timmy had an off night. He started out very slow. I think he was, I want to say he was like one for eight in the first half. Missing a lot after he missed some of those, you know, like he missed a couple of easy ones and then he almost looked hesitant to put it up after that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like West Virginia kind of shocked him a bit like, Oh, this is what a physical team is like. But then he came out in the second half really, you know, he, he bounced back pretty well from that. And so I think that was a good get gut check for Drew Timmy because he came into the game averaging almost 27 points uh, per, per outing. So he was on top of the world and it was nice for a guy like him to probably get that gut check as, as far as, what is a tough physical defense like? How can I bounce around? How can I adjust to that? And he made the adjustments in the second half. And, you know, we talk a lot about Gonzaga being the best team in the country. I'll say this. I was very impressed by what I saw from West Virginia out of that. It's going to go down as a loss for uh, the Mountaineers. But this is one of those games like we touched on in the intro where you lose to a top-level team. I feel better about them now in that loss than I did about them going into the game because I really wanted to see – how they're gonna how they're gonna respond against the team where this the Gonzaga Bulldogs they were supposed to come in there take care of business and now it wasn't necessarily gonna be a blowout but West Virginia was not favored in that game and they came in there and they did a great job of keeping it close and I honestly thought they could have won that game they let it slip late with some turnovers and some bad shot selection and that's something that you can take from and you can learn from moving forward but that team is is poised to be make some noise in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to be able to hang with anyone. If you, can, if you can hang with Gonzaga, you can hang with anybody. And, and you know, I like that you, you mentioned how, that, how Gonzaga was able to recover even after he went down just because just the depth that they have on that roster, it's, it's really insane. I mean, just kind of pulling it up here, they've got four, five guys that were top 100 guys in the 2019 class, three other guys that are top 100 guys in the 2020 class. I mean, this is a little private school. Yeah. in Washington and they're out here pulling some of the best players in the country 
and just beating some of the premier programs. And obviously, you know, they, they kind of have to schedule up a little bit more than some of these other programs do just because, you know, the West coast conference, it doesn't, it doesn't have the same, you know, luster as even like the big East, or I would say, you know, even like the mountain West, to be honest, but it's, it's just fun, honestly, like Gonzaga is what makes college basketball fun. That's not that articulate of a statement, but it is, you know, it's the small school and they go around and they beat up on all the bullies. And it's, it's, I don't see how anybody hangs with Gonzaga if Gonzaga is healthy this year, at least on a consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, I think this weekend is going to be big for me in that test. You know, I'm, I think I'm about 98% there on Gonzaga, but Baylor played a great game on, uh, I guess that was, what was that, Wednesday night as well, when, when they beat yeah. Illinois. And that Illinois team is good. <clears throat> Excuse me, that Illinois team is good. They beat them by 13 points. And, you know, when you look at Baylor and what they're doing there, this is the first time they've been picked to, to win the Big 12. You know, they've got a lot of competition with Kansas, but also West Virginia at the top of that conference. It's going to be interesting to see that game because I want to know two things. Is Gonzaga going to beat up on number two and assert themselves as the best team in the country? Or is Baylor going to slip through and get an upset? And is it going to be like last season where, you know, last season, if I recall correctly, I think the first five, six, seven, eight weeks of the season, we had a new number one every single week. It felt like, you know, and and it started early. Yeah. And Baylor started to separate themselves towards the end there. And then we went on that 23 game win streak, but Still, I want to see what this season is going to be like. And this is a huge test for that because if Gonzaga wins this game, yeah, they're the clear cut number one because I don't see them losing another game down the road in their schedule if they beat Baylor. I really don't. But if Baylor beats them, then I'm back to, okay, the top 10 is fluid because we haven't even gotten to start talking about the Iowas of the world with Lucas Garza putting up 80 points in, back, or in, in two games. I mean, there are some other really good teams out there too. So, so that's where I'm at with Gonzaga. Well said. I think, you know, this Gonzaga-Baylor game is, I mean, one of the best early games that I can think of in a long time. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how Jared Butler, you know, kind of steps up in this moment. Uh, some of these other guys, I don't, I don't know. It's just the depth that Gonzaga has. I keep going back to that, but I think they just wear teams down, you know, like even, even when you hang for eight, 15 minutes at a time, eventually... Gonzaga just goes on one of those runs where it's, you know, 12-2, 14-2, and they just bury you. I mean, we saw it in the tournament. I think they were, I think they probably would have won a national championship last year. It's tough to say. There were a couple teams that were in contention, but they just, they, they look like a team on a mission, and I'm intrigued to see how it all plays out. Yeah, I think that's a good point as far as you can't put them away. You know, there's no shot that's going to be the dagger against Gonzaga. And I mean, you saw too, West Virginia, they were up. I can't remember if they quite got the double digits, but they were like up. eight points. Yeah. yeah, eight points or something. And, you know, that's obviously never a safe lead in college basketball, but they were able to hold that consistently and they had a good back and forth. But Gonzaga, like you said, they just hang around. They're not going to beat themselves, you know, which is, I think, cannot be said for other teams in the country, especially West Virginia. I think West Virginia did not help themselves towards the end of that game. And so Gonzaga's, they're an opportun- very opportunistic basketball team. They're going to take advantage of it. And yeah, with, with Baylor, uh, you know, you look at what Butler did against um, Illinois the other night too. Um, I can't remember his exact stat line, but I know that Butler popped off the page for me as a guy that he, he was just in control. You know, so 12 points, five boards, three assists in that game. Not, not his best outing, 
but his presence was felt. I, I, that was the first Baylor game that I had the chance to watch this season. And that's what I, I keyed in on was they, the Illinois defense was keying in on where he was. And that was able to set up other guys like Mitchell, who was able to hit from three. And so when you can play through one guy, like you can with, uh, with Jared Butler, whether it is as your primary scorer, as a decoy, it's going to be tough to beat them. The problem is then when you compare that with Gonzaga, you got that with Drew Timmy and Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs. And so while Baylor is a great team, I definitely would pick Gonzaga in that game. Um, it, but it will just be interesting to see how Baylor's depth compares to Gonzaga's depth. Because like you said, Gonzaga's got eight guys in the top 100 recruits for the last two years. I mean, that team is stacked for a little private school in Washington. They're making waves. So I, I just can't wait to see it all come together over the course of the season. Gonzaga takes down Baylor. You almost got to give them the Big 12 championship and the West Coast championship, <laughs> running through the three best programs in the league yeah. right off the bat. Tell you what, that is going to look, I mean, it is going to look so good for them come tournament time. I mean, not not that they wouldn't be a one seed anyway at this point. You know, it's, it's obviously it's hard to project three months down the road. But if you tell me they beat the, the top three teams in the Big 12, and not to mention on December 19th, they've got a matchup with Iowa. So, I mean, this, whoever the AD is at Gonzaga, I don't know his name, whoever it is, great work. Great work. Particular fortitude. We'll, we'll, we'll just put that phrase out there. They, <laughs> yes. they put them on the table. Gonzaga is not worried about facing anyone anywhere. Testicular fortitude. That is a good tagline for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's move on and kind of talk about the top 25, which obviously is going to have just a ton of fluctuation this year. Um, you know, our rankings were a little bit different than the APs both, both weeks now. And we're going to kind of go over all of that. Uh, before we do, though, we got to take a brief moment to acknowledge our partner, DraftKings Sportsbook. Guys, the gyms may not be full, but there's no shortage of madness this college basketball season. For us, the fans, college basketball powers have gifted us with a top-tier matchup between two powerhouses. You know what we're talking about. Gonzaga and Baylor. They're going toe-to-toe for what could be the nation's top ranking. What could be? It's going to be. the. I mean, whoever wins that's going to be number one. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is bringing you closer to the action with these can't-miss offers. All college basketball users who sign up now, you have a chance to win $100 when betting on either Gonzaga or Baylor. All you got to do, sign up, use the promo code DNVR, bet $1. You can win $100. Turn $1 into $100 seems really easy. Plus, you can get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 when you sign up, again, with the promo code DNVR. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR when you sign up for your chance to turn $1 into $100. Cash a cool Benjamin. That's right, bet $1, turn it into $100 with the promo code DNVR during sign-up. Limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match. Deposit bonus requires 25 times play through restrictions to apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Top 25 gambling, all kinds of fun stuff. What do you want to start with? I mean, should we just start with the top down? Obviously, we've talked at length about Gonzaga and Baylor. So AP's got Iowa at three. I've got them at three. You've got them at four. Um, so realistically, they're a good team. Got to start with with Luke Gar- uh, Lucas Garza. Uh, I I don't know that 
I don't know that there's a player in college basketball like Luca Garza. I, and I know that that is not necessarily a hot take for a guy that's averaging almost a double double at 34 <laughs> points per game, but seeing him play, it just is impressive. He is always in control. He's averaging 34 points per game, almost 10 rebounds. He's shooting over 60% from three and 76% from the floor. This is also a guy who's almost averaging three blocks per game. In short, the reason he was my player of the week, man. I mean, you you took all my, you took all my talking points here, but Garza was my player of the week. And you know, for all the reasons that you said, he's balling out now. Iowa, they have not played the same level of competition as some of these other teams have. And that's why I'm a little, you know, I'm not quite as high on Iowa as some of the people are across the country. To me, they kind of seem like a team that's going to beat up on a lot of bad teams. Can they beat the good teams? We shall see. That's kind of been Garza's, you know, downfall throughout his career. Big number guy. Hasn't been able to, you know, get through those powerhouse opponents. It's not all on him, but he's been the face of Iowa, you know, the last two, three years. But God, man just putting up the numbers that he is putting up right now. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody individually that you can say has had a more impressive start to the year than Luca Garza. No, I mean, and he's clearly the front runner for the player of the year award at the end of this, at the end of the season. I think you make a great point about, you know, Iowa and being able to beat up on the bad teams and, you know, struggle with some of the, the good teams they're going to be tested. You know, the Big Ten and the Big 12 are very heavy. Their conferences, the term that I like to use is conference cannibalization. This where you have a lot of good teams and they exchange blows, they exchange wins, and then you're left at the end of the season with some teams that have more losses than a, like a Gonzaga because Gonzaga dominates their conference schedule. But then you look at a team like Iowa, who they might have five, six losses, but they're two you know, I mean, they're, they're to Wisconsin, Michigan State, maybe Ohio State steals one in there as well, maybe Rutgers, you know, some of these top tier programs. And so it's tough to evaluate some of those because, yeah, you lost the game, but, you know, what was the margin? How did you actually play against those conference opponents? They're going to be tested. They've got North Carolina next week. They've got Iowa State. Obviously, they're going to play Gonzaga later in December, and then they're going to flow into their conference schedule. So Iowa's a team that I think is going to sit at three until they play Gonzaga, until they play that big team. Um, And then after that, we'll see. If they can keep it close with Gonzaga, they should remain a top-10 team. I'm so fascinated to watch how the Big Ten plays out because as we look around, you know, the AP poll and our poll, again, you've got other Big Ten teams, Wisconsin, Michigan State, excuse me, Michigan State, Ohio State up there as well. Rutgers is in the AP. Michigan is ranked for me. I love Michigan. I love the way they play basketball. So, you know, who's going to separate themselves in the Big Ten? Is it going to be Iowa? Are they going to be able to compete this year? Or is it a team like Wisconsin who's played very well and they're sitting there in the top five, top four as well? You know, it's so interesting, the dynamic between those teams. Wisconsin is the big if factor for me in the Big Ten because I think Wisconsin probably has the highest ceiling of anybody in the Big Ten. I just think with what they have, just the shooters they have on the floor, they just kind of wear you down too in the post a little bit. I don't, the Big Ten is going to be so tough because Ohio State is really good. I don't think they're as good as some of the voters think, but they're still, you know, a program you got to fear. You brought up Michigan. They're, you know, improving. Michigan State was the number one team in the country going into last year. You know, you lose Winston, but 
let's let's not pretend like they're not dangerous. They've looked pretty dang good in that win over Duke. Yeah. And Duke's a team that we all consecutively at DNVR, we dropped them down the polls. They were sixth in the AP. That was obviously before that loss to Michigan State. I, I think Duke is yeah, they're they're in, in in an interesting spot. And and not to jump around too too much, but Duke just to me it feels like they they don't have the same identity that they have in years past. Agreed. They look lost at times on the court. And so while I agree, they're gonna be a top twenty-five team because they have the talent, because they have that pedigree and the recruits and they've got this brand. But I think this is a different Duke team than we've seen in years past. And that's not to say that they still can't make some noise come February, March. But right now, they are a team that is is really struggling to find their footing, along with a team like North Carolina. Got, uh, you know, those programs have a ton of pedigree. They have a ton of great history, but they're just not the same as they were in years past. And so, uh, and another team I'll throw into that bucket as well, Kentucky. Three teams are you know, <laughs> we're they're, on the they're same page right now. Yeah. <laughs> I I dropped Kentucky out of my top twenty-five. I believe where you had Kentucky at eighteen. Um, I dropped that was a pretty out. significant drop because going into the season, I actually had Kentucky at ten, um, and and that's really just about the talent that they have on the roster. I think Kentucky and Duke are two very talented teams. I think you explained it, you know, eloquently in a sense that they're still trying to figure it out. North Carolina, I think, plays a little bit better as a team than either of those teams at the moment. But I don't think that their ceiling is high because I don't love that the, the talent that they currently have on the roster, especially in a really deep ACC. The Blue Bloods, it's, it's kind of a weird one. I actually have a prop bet from DraftKings. It was like plus 180, any of the Blue Bloods to win the national championship this year. And quite honestly, I think they're probably going to win on that because I just I don't really see any of those teams. Maybe like a Kansas or, or something like that. Like you said, Duke could always figure it out down the stretch. But it's not it's not the year of the blue blood. It's the year of Iowa and Gonzaga and Creighton and, and Houston. I mean, Houston yeah. beat the hell out of Texas Tech in that game. Yeah. And and that was you know, I, I'm not sure whether that says more about Texas Tech or whether that says more about Great point. Houston. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough so early on in the season to make huge predictions and matchups like that. But yeah, Houston is a great team. Real quick on Kentucky, too. They have so much length, so much athleticism. So much. But dear God, they cannot buy a basket to save their life. They're shooting 19% from three right now. And if you would have told me 19%, I would have said that's higher than I thought. Because watching watching their games, it's just painful. They're getting the looks. Coach Cal, you know, people have your opinions about Kentucky. I grew up in Cincinnati, so I'm not a, I'm selfishly, I'm not a huge Kentucky guy. But this team has even destroyed my expectations for them just because it's like, how how can you not, you know, figure that out yet? And again. We were talking about it off the show. This feels like a year where Kentucky's going to make a run. Um, and I do still think they'll figure it out, but they need to. They need to figure it out sooner rather than later because at one and two right now, who do they got coming up? They've got Georgia Tech, Notre Dame. You know, They've got some games in late December against UCLA and Louisville, which I think are going to be two big-time games. Those are going to be some good tests. Louisville, 4-0, hot start. Yeah, I mean, Louisville... That's I probably should have had them in the top 25, to be honest. Too. Somebody tweeted at us, you know, where's Louisville? And, and uh, it was just an oversight, to be honest. They, they should have cracked the top yeah. 25. 
I agree. And they've got some games now. They've got Wisconsin coming up here this week as well, which is going to be another test for them. Big I time. agree. They yeah. should be in the top, 20, top, top or <clears throat> excuse me, top 25. So you've got these, these big time programs with, again, the, the common theme right now is early season tests for a lot of these programs. Um, you know, super interesting. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the Villanova Wildcats. They're sitting at 12 in the AP this week because obviously they had that tough loss to Virginia Tech. Um, they've got a game on Sunday against Texas. That's going to be a big game. And that's going to be interesting because Texas is playing some fantastic basketball right now. Where are you at with those two programs? Is Texas back? The ever-ending question <laughs> in both football and college basketball, apparently. Uh, Shaka Smart grows out the hair, and then all of a sudden, the uh, the vibes are back at Texas. He's completely changed the energy in the program. I'll be honest, Texas has looked a lot better than I expected. Coming into the season, I you know I thought they were the fifth, maybe even the sixth best team in the Big 12, and they've looked extremely competitive. They're playing really efficient basketball at the moment. I've been impressed with what they've done, you know, in the post. Ah, it's just, I, I don't know if they really have what it takes to, you know, hang with Baylor and Kansas in the long term. But this is a great, great matchup between Texas and Villanova. One, I want to see, is Texas legit? And two, I want my feelings on Villanova validated because I think Villanova is as, as good as anybody, you know, aside from Gonzaga and Baylor right now. I think it's John Rothstein that calls them a Fortune 500 company. And it, that just means, you know, they're consistent. They're always there. You know what you have in Villanova. They got great shooters. They maybe don't have the length that, you know, some of these other elite teams have. And, and that's what worries me a little bit down the stretch. But I bet on Villanova to win the national championship last March. So it's a program that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very in on. I love them, Creighton, just those small schools that can put up threes in a hurry. I think those teams are really hard to defend, especially if you don't have, you know, the versatility that like a Gonzaga brings to the table. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I think this matchup is going to be tougher for Villanova because Texas has a, a, a really good front court presence. Exactly, um, yeah. But I'm, but I'm interested to see how, you know, the matchup between Gillespie and Villanova plays against Matt Coleman. Matt Coleman, he played so well against North Carolina. He was he dominating. that. Yeah, I mean, he was, he, and that's not just because he hit the buzzer beater that I say he's the reason that they beat North Carolina. He just had a fantastic game, and that goes along with a, a very consistent start to this season. You know, he's averaging a little over 16 points per game, but he, in through four games, he's been hitting that mark consistently. It's not like a one-off where he dropped 30 in one game and 10 in another. He's a very consistent guy and he's, he's very crafty for, for a six, two guard in the big 12 to be able to get the shot creation that he is. It's really a testament to his athleticism. And, you know, again, I cover Colorado. I say the same things about McKinley, Wright. You've got these undersized guards that are so shifty with their ball handling that they generate space off of that. And I think that is so difficult to defend because it's not like a post player where you can just match him up size for size and say, well, we've got a seven footer, so we'll put him on, on him in the post and that should just even itself out. You know, yeah. there is no matchup for a guy like a Matt Coleman who is so crafty and can, can really work his way into the lane and take good shots. Um, so, so that's a, it's going to be an interesting matchup just because of that front court discrepancy, but I'm with you on Villanova. 
To me, if they dropped down to nine because of that loss, I still had a hard time putting them at nine because I agree, this is still a top five program. And you're going to have these losses that come up. You wish that it didn't happen to a team like Virginia Tech. But granted, Virginia Tech is a good team. So, you know, you, you maybe would have wished that the loss came against an Arizona State, maybe for the sake of how it looks on paper or even this Texas game. But yeah, they're, they're still a very good program. They're in great hands. They're well coached. And yeah, like you said, those fast teams that can just get down the court in a hurry. And they're also very well balanced, which I like. They're not going to rely on one guy. That's my concern too with uh, Iowa is what happens if Luca Garza If you shut down Garza, yeah. Yeah, th- then it's like, where does that production come from? Whereas with Villanova, you've got Gillespie, you've got Robinson Earl, you've got these guys who can come in and make big shots. And that's the key to me in college basketball. You can't just rely on one guy. Look back in the past, like the Trey Youngs of the world. You know, these are transformative guys with fantastic talent, but they can't carry a a college basketball program the way that you can carry NBA programs. It's just a different dynamic. You know, what's interesting is so much attention goes to the one and done and, and, you know, Kentucky, Dukes, these programs that they really, they lean on these just crazy freshman classes that come in they have a great year, then they're done. The best teams in the country right now, Gonzaga, Villanova, even Texas. Texas is a very experienced roster. This isn't freshman. This is a group that's played a lot of minutes together over the last couple of seasons. Iowa with what the core that they've got in Garza. It's the experienced teams that are going to be most dangerous. And I think what makes them even more dangerous this year is just the unpredictability of everything. You might get shut down for two weeks and not have practice. The teams that are going to be able to recover the best are the teams that are used to playing together. They're not going to, you know, you might, it might be a little rusty for a day or two, but you have that muscle memory. You have that established chemistry. Whereas, you know, like if you're a program rocking three true freshmen in your starting lineup, all of a sudden, you know, you get shut down for two full weeks. That's a tough adjustment. And it's one that, you know, coaches are talking about a lot, but it's definitely going to be a big factor this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, again, just going to feed into that narrative of just how unpredictable this season's going to be. Like you said, with you've got these blue blood programs, are they actually going to be the ones to, to carry, the, uh, carry the baton over the finish line? Or are you going to have some of these, some of these more vested programs? Um, you know, so switching gears a little bit, let's talk about the bottom. Let's talk about the bottom of the top 25 because our rankings look significantly different than the AP from kind of 20 to 25. We've got schools like Colorado, like you've got LSU, I've got Michigan. We both have San Diego State, which I think is grossly misplaced on the AP. You know, last week when, when San Diego State, they beat UCLA, you messaged me. It's like, how can you forget about San Diego State? And I, I took a step back. I'm like, I truthfully just forgot about San Diego State. And the same thing happened to me this year that happened last year. And then you see them go out there and put up impressive wins. You're like, oh, yeah, this is a good program. This is a school that's going to be around. They're going to hang around. So, you know, gross oversight on my part for our preseason rankings, gross oversight on the AP to have a team that's 3-0 and right now, still not cracked the top 25 when you've got good wins. That win against UCLA to open the season. You know, UCLA, I'm higher on than I think a lot of other people are, and that's because I know what Mick Cronin is. Mick Cronin is a guy who he wants to win a game like 42 to 40. He does not <laughs> care about scoring. The Larry Eustacey approach without the verbal abuse. Yeah. So it's like you see UCLA giving up a lot of points early. And the same thing happened to them last year. 
You know, it took some time to get their defense ironed out, but they came back around. But that's still a defensively sound team that San Diego State put 73 points up on. So I think they are, you know, they're a team that you should be scared of, you know. And it's interesting that people seemingly forgot about them. I forgot about them after last year, you know, and then you see them come back in this season and it's like, no, they're still here to stay. I mean, I'm not sure there's anybody in the country other than, you know, the the one seeds to where it was more unfortunate that March Madness didn't happen last year than for the San Diego State Aztecs, who obviously ran the table in the regular season. Didn't end up winning the Mountain West Tournament because Sam Merrill is a killer. But Malachi Flynn and that Aztecs roster, they were just, they were lethal, man. They played incredible defense. They shot lights out from three and they just wore you down. Their team's a little bit different this year. You know, they're, they're not, you know, quite as lethal from beyond the arc as they were last year, but they still got shooters. And it's just another case of they're a team with a ton of experience. They've got juniors and seniors, you know, throughout their lineup. And, you know, I, I just think that's a big factor. I, it's, it's really not that, you know, our, it's not that articulate or, you know, I'm not breaking any ground here. Oh, they're an experienced team. So they're good because they played, you know, a lot of basketball together. But we've seen it. They just beat UCLA. They're going to hang with anybody. They're well coached. They have good athletes because it's really easy to recruit to San Diego, one of the you know best places in the country, probably from a college perspective. I, I think the Aztecs are definitely the most dangerous team in the Mountain West, and one of the more dangerous, you know, non-major, you know, power six or whatever you want to phrase it in college basketball teams in the country. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're they're a team that I think is just going to continue to rise slowly but surely. You know, they, I, you take a look at their schedule and moving forward, they don't have one of those keynote matchups that I think. And that's, what's going to be tough for their perception is, you know, they don't have those games that Gonzaga and some of these other programs, even, you know, Villanova Creighton are able to get, it's not all their fault. They lost some games from their original schedule due to coronavirus, and they haven't been able to kind of plug in as easy as some of these, these other programs have. But that's a great point. And I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. I just, I wanted no, to you're fine. highlight yeah, that. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. And that's, and that's why the problem with, with the Aztecs are they're not the team that's going to make jumps. They're not the team that's going to make leaps. They're a team that's going to creep their way up. They're going to go from 25 to 23 to 22, 21, you know, week over week. Because at some point, the AP voters are going to be forced to look at that and say, this team is winning. But they're not going to be a team that can just jump up and down the poles from one big win. Um, they're, they're honestly, they're a team that is hurt more from a loss than they gain from a win, which is, which is tough for an experienced program like that. But it's just the cards that you're dealt in a coronavirus season. Um, I want to talk about another, you know, team too here. You and Henry are both pretty high on LSU. I don't have them in my top 25 just yet. The SEC this season is so fascinating because who is going to come out on top in the SEC? It's so tough to tell because, you know, Kentucky, they're there, but are, are they there yet? You know, there, there's a gap this year. There's a hole to be filled for a team to come in there uh, and, and really take it over. You've got Alabama. You've got LSU. Um, you know, you've got also Arkansas, who hasn't missed a game yet this season. Where are you at as far as the SEC goes and specifically LSU and Alabama? LSU and Alabama, I think, when you look at what they have on the roster, it's it's obviously, you know, they have great explosive athletes all over the place. It's raw. I don't think they're necessarily 
the team basketball that you would worry about with some of these other, you know, groups that we've talked about. But, you know, especially with, with LSU, I just, I love the length that they have. You know, I, I really like Cameron Thomas. He's their freshman guard, but I, I just, I like days. I, they got Shaquille O'Neal's son is eligible. Who knows, you know, if he's actually going to be the the dude, you know, he's only averaging 2.7 points right now, but it really just comes down to the athleticism that LSU has. I like Javante Smart. I like how they get out on running teams. And I like the attitude that Will Wade brings to the table. I think, you know, in college basketball, especially teams tend to take up the personality of their coach for, for better or for worse. You know, if you're a CU team, I think you see it a lot with McKinley, Wright, And, you know, he's smooth and he's a great leader and he's calm and collected when it's, you know, the crunch time, because that's how Tad Boyle is. Well, Will Wade is more like, uh, you know, let's go out there and let's, you know, punch these motherfuckers in the face. And we're going to go out here and we're going to do it LSU style, whether you're the NCAA coming, you know, trying to investigate me or you're, you know, an opponent or LSU, baby, that's what we do. And I just think they're going to challenge everybody. I don't think they're necessarily the best basketball team. I just like their attitude. I like the athleticism that they bring. Alabama, I go back and forth on them because I actually think they play better team basketball than LSU does. I don't think they necessarily have the talent that LSU does. But I think both of these teams are definitely good to challenge a team like, you know, Kentucky, who on paper is a better team, but is still trying to figure it out. That was a ton of rambling. Hopefully that made sense. No, I I mean, it made a lot of sense. And honestly, I don't, I don't have a a dissenting opinion on any of that. I agree. I think LSU is, is raw. And that's, what's great about them in this season is first of all, you don't have to worry about the eligibility. And second of all, you've got time to, to kind of craft this because for LSU, their priority does not need to be, you know, getting into the top 10 of the rankings. Their priority needs to be, how are we going to make that push in the conference tournament and going into March Madness? Um, you know, I, I agree with Alabama too. That loss to Stanford was tough because I think Stanford came into this season with a lot of expectations and they've more or less dropped the ball early on. Uh, you know, they're just one and two with that only win coming over Alabama losses to North Carolina and Indiana, solid losses, but the team has overall been a little bit of a lackluster. So that loss for Alabama early on is, is, is a little tough, but I agree. I think those are two teams that definitely can make a push for the sec. You know, I, I don't know that they'll ever be ranked higher than Kentucky because Kentucky is Kentucky and, you know, they're going to pick up wins. They're not going to shoot the ball well, but they're going to pick up wins. But as far as Alabama and LSU goes, I think they can really challenge them come conference tournament time. Um, at this point, too, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 since we talked a little bit about Stanford. The Pac-12 is, is so fascinating because you had Oregon and Arizona State coming in and they were going to be the heavyweight fighters with UCLA also right behind them. And instead you've got teams like Colorado and USC who are actually the ones really putting up the impressive numbers. Uh, you, uh, Colorado, they they haven't had a signature win just yet, and they're not really going to pick it up this week with their game against Washington state or next week against Colorado school of mines. Um, but they're, they're a well coached basketball team that has a lot of depth. And then you look at USC as well. You know, Evan Mobley is so, so dynamic as a, I'm, I'm trying to pull up his stats because they don't even do him justice right now. You know, he's averaging almost 20 points per game um, or over, yeah, almost 20 points per game, almost 10 rebounds per game. 
shooting the ball incredibly well. And he's also very crafty on the inside for, for, for freshmen. The Mobley brothers are going to be trouble for the Pac-12 this year coming out of, out of USC. And so I think the Pac-12 is a conference like the SEC, where you've got some established programs like with Oregon or almost, you know, UCLA, you've got these historically good programs, but it's almost anybody's game at this point. You can have sleepers come through, win the tournament, win the, the regular season title, and almost nobody should be surprised. Where are you at with Arizona State right now? Because I'm not sure that I'm as high on Arizona State as, well, basically everybody seems to be in Remy Martin and just the whole, the whole Sun Devils situation. Yeah, you know, Remy Martin, Remy Martin to me, the problem with Martin is his inconsistency. So they played Cal last night and they came out with an eight point win and Martin was fantastic. He was eight for eight on uh, field goals, but he was 0 for three from deep. So, you know, still a good shooting night, but he, he didn't have the stroke from deep, still averaging decent numbers. But what I point to, that loss against Villanova, Remy Martin's stats, five points, two for eight from the floor, one rebound, two assists, one for five from deep. So, you know, he plays good against Rhode Island, Houston, Baptist, and Cal. Those are not teams that anybody's writing home about. And he really dropped the ball against Villanova, which is their only big game because they were scheduled to play Baylor and it got canceled. So the problem with Arizona State now is you've got a small sample size with teams on polar opposites with Villanova, who's a great team and other teams who are bad. So where I'm at with Arizona State and Remy Martin is honestly, I think they're a sound basketball team, but you need to see more. And they're going to be playing San Diego State next week, which is a really, really Really fun game. Yeah, that is going to be a, that's must watch college basketball because you're going to learn a lot about both of those teams. Um, But as far as Arizona State on the whole goes, I think they are farther away than a lot of people thought. I, yeah, I, I couldn't put it any better than that if I tried. I think CU is better than Arizona State. I know that CSU fans, that's not what you want to hear. I believe in this bus. I mean, I've believed in McKinley Wright since he was a true freshman. I wrote going into his sophomore season for Mile High Sports Magazine. I did an entire Buffs profile, and I wrote that I thought Wright was good enough to lead them to the tournament as a sophomore. So I, I've, I've been high on him, you know, basically ever since the first time that I saw him. All the coaches, you know, they say just nothing but great things about him. Dave Thorson, an assistant at CSU, longtime head coach in Minnesota, a legendary high school Minnesota coach out there, actually, you know, knows McKinley Wright really well. And just the way he breaks his game down, it's just clear that Wright is smarter than everybody else on the floor when he has the basketball. And I love basketball players like that. Isaiah Stevens is the same way at CSU. Um, but with the Pac-12, and I've covered so much ground in the last two minutes here. <laughs> But with the Pac-12, you know, you mentioned that it's it's kind of going to cannibalize itself, I think. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, can a team like Oregon cement themselves above everyone else? We saw Stanford, you know, they came out. Stanford looked pretty good. You know, they've got a really talented young roster. They beat Alabama. You know, can't really sleep on them. What do we got out of CU? It, it'll be interesting. I think any of those teams are capable of, you know, being like a top, I don't know, 15, 20 team in the country. It's just going to be a matter of who can show up when the lights are brightest, who can get some of those just key conference wins. Because it's just going to be weird. I will say, before we go here, and, and we should wrap it up because we're going on about an hour now, I saw a report 
that the Pac-12 might consider shutting basketball down after Christmas? Have you heard anything about that? I actually haven't. Um, I the, the thing with the Pac-12, the problem, I don't know the specific article you're referencing, but I know that the problem that's facing a lot of teams right now is the situation in California. Um, the governor of California yesterday put out a stay-at-home order um, that had a fluctuating capacity based on their ICU bed capacity at local hospitals. So California is such a moving target right now. So I can't speak specifically to basketball about it. What I can speak to is, is regarding football. And, you know, obviously covering the Pac-12 with football too, Stanford had to pack up and move because of Santa Clara County. They are playing the remainder of their schedule on the road. They're not allowed to practice at home. And that's just such a tough de- hand to be dealt if you're a football team. And now granted, again, global pandemic, how much stock should we be putting in, you know, collegiate sports? That's a debate for another day that scholars yeah, that's will a argue whole for other deal. So, you know, all we can speak to is what is the situation that, you know, the, the schools are having to face. And so, you know, you look at California in particular, you've got UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal. What do you do with these teams? Because they have to finish out the football season. You, you wonder what the conference play is going to look like. I think it's all going to be a moving target. But with that being said, I do think that the conference is going to be able to get enough waivers um, from local governments because California was also extraordinarily shut down when the football season got renewed and LA County was able to grant accessibility or, you know, whatever the word is for it for USC and UCLA for them to be able to return to the sport. So while I think it's gonna be a question mark, absolutely heading into the season for the PAC 12 in particular, just because of where they're at, uh, geographically, I, I do think that it should work itself out in the end. But with that being said, would not be surprised about more postponements. Obviously, the Colorado-Arizona game from this week was postponed and rescheduled to late January. I think that is just the world college basketball fans are going to have to live in for this season. Everything is, is fluid. No schedule is set. You could be playing a team tomorrow and end up playing them three months from now, and they've just got to be okay rolling with the punches. Perfectly put. Uh, speaking of staying flexible, for the local fans, CU and CSU are still going to try and play down the line. We'll see if that happens. Uh, Tad Boyle, Nico Medved currently having those conversations. Could just be a matter of, you know, if there's a week where both teams lose a game or something like that, you know, it's pretty easy to throw a hoops game together. A lot easier than it is to throw a football game together. We will be back next week. Uh, We'll have our new rankings coming out on Monday. We were kind of late on them this week, but we will have them out on Monday. More content, looking forward to it. I'm just glad that College Hoops is back. 